Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. My guest today is Cheryl Baker. Cheryl is a singer and TV presenter, best known as part of the pop sensation Bucks Fizz, winning the Eurovision Song Contest and selling millions of records worldwide. A real-life EastEnder, Cheryl was born in Bethnal Green and dreamt of being a singer representing her country at Eurovision. And in 1981, that dream came true when Bucks Fizz won with Making Your Mind Up, which went to number one in nine countries and elevated them to tour worldwide and have 20 hit records. Her talents don't stop there, becoming a household name on our TV screens, presenting shows such as Record Breakers for 11 years and touring in many musicals such as Footloose and The Wizard of Oz. And today is seen on our screens as a contestant on shows such as Celebrity Masterchef, Dancing on Ice and The Weakest Link. 40 years on, the fizz is still going strong and Cheryl continues to work with Mike and Jay performing at festivals, 80s weekends and they are hosting their 40th anniversary concert at the Indigo O2 in March this year. Cheryl now lives in Kent with her family and as someone who has been part of all of our lives, I cannot wait to find out the moments that have shaped hers. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Cheryl. Thank you very much, Jen. Thank you. So you are so busy at the moment. So I kind of just wanted to ask you, how is everything going with life with Cheryl now? Oh, life's always amazing. I mean, I've said this many times when people say, is your your glass half full or half empty? My glass is always overflowing. And I think that even... Even sometimes when something goes wrong or you don't get a job or something like that, you know, sometimes it's for the best. It's funnily enough, it's a sliding doors moment sometimes, you know, when yeah. when a door closes 
and another one opens, you know, and so maybe you weren't supposed to go through that first door in the first place. So, yeah, my life is great. And the reason it's so busy at the moment is because we're working and we always work, but also Eurovision is coming up, of course, and it's yeah. in the UK, it's in Liverpool. So we've got lots of work um, around the Liverpool area in, in that time. So I'm um, looking forward to it. It's so good. And I love what you say there about your glass being half full, because I think it comes across like that to everyone that's kind of followed you and been on your journey throughout your career. And it's I think that's what keeps you going, isn't it, through life? It certainly keeps me going. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just think, you know, rather than be down in the dumps over something or thinking, like to be perfectly honest, my husband, Steve, will always look on the the side of the the coin that is, oh, this might happen, so you shouldn't really, you've got to think about this because that might be wrong. And, and I always think, no, let's try and, let's forget what might go wrong. Let's think about and concentrate on what could go right. I love the yeah. saying, um, the answer's yes, now what's the question? I think yeah. that's great. Positivity, positivity so makes true. good things happen and negativity can make bad things happen. So that's why yeah, I'm a the very law positive of attraction. person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yin and yang balance yes, between the two. We're definitely yin and yang, that's for sure. What was the dream when you were younger? Like I mentioned there that I know that you did dream of being in Eurovision, but kind of what what did you want to be when you were younger? Well, in reality, I knew that that wasn't ever going to happen because I lived in a council flat in East London and East London in those days was a very, very poor part of London. Not anymore. Mm -hmm. At the moment, I don't think I could afford to live there anymore. But um, then it was not the place to be. It was the place to leave. And, um, yeah. and so when I saw Sandy Shaw win, which I think was 1967, when she won the Eurovision Song Contest, I thought then um, that's the ultimate aim for any singer is to represent their country. See, I'm a bit of a royalist. I love our royal family. Yeah. I love being part. I'm proud to be British, terribly proud. And also I'm, I used to love running. I'm training at the moment to do a half marathon. I don't think I've got another marathon in me. So I love the royal family. I love being British. I, I love running. And so I thought I want to win an Olympic gold medal. And then when I saw Sandy Shaw win the Eurovision, I thought, that's the equivalent of a gold medal in, in running, but it's for music. So I decided then that I wanted to win the Eurovision Song Contest, but my sensible head said, don't be daft, it's not going to happen. And so I studied, I took a secretarial course because Bethnal Green is one stop away on the tube to the city mm -hmm. of London. So I thought, I'm going to be a secretary, I'm going to learn how to do shorthand, because in those days, you know, there was no texting, there was no... Um, <clears throat> well, you, you needed to learn how to take dictation, yeah. which I did. And um and I was good at it and I worked in the city for five years, but all the time in those five years with the dream of still being a singer. And I did join a band. I joined a band called Bressingham Spire. It wouldn't have mattered what name we chose because we never actually worked. We only rehearsed. But someone else who was in that band was Mike Reed, the DJ. Oh, so, yeah. Um, so that was funny. That was funny because, you know, he went on to do great things and he's still, he's still a DJ now and he's still um, doing loads of stuff. The fact that you... You know, your dream was to win the Eurovision Song Contest and it actually happened. I mean, today everyone's talking about manifestation and visualisation, but like, you know, it really, it just, I can't even imagine the moment for you. And I guess, you know, was was winning Eurovision like the most ridiculous whirlwind that you've ever had in your life? Yeah. Uh, yeah apart from giving birth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
that moment when suddenly you've got babies because I had twins that moment when suddenly you've got babies and they want feeding and they want feeding from you that's weird but yes and twins not just one baby yeah exactly but uh to realize my childhood ambition was the extraordinary thing it wasn't just Mm -hmm. the fact that we won and it changed my life it was the fact that it was my dream it was my you know you know little girls now Children now want to be, um, you know, the princess from Frozen and things like that. My dream was to win the Eurovision Song. It was that was it, and I fulfilled it. How many people do that? It was astonishing. And I remember when we did win, and we stood on the podium, surrounded by photographers, and I looked down. I thought, my life's just changed, and it did. And I'm talking to you now, 42 years on, because of that those three minutes singing Making Your Mind Up on that stage in in Dublin. Did you take the time to really think, like, I've actually done it? Um, at the time I did, and I was, like, crazy. I was r- jumping up and down. Mike Nolan and I, who were best buddies then and still are now, we, um, we were... Not, we were going, can you believe it? It's happened, it's happened. But then you get onto the roller coaster of actually performing the gigs, travelling the mm-hmm. world, and, and it becomes your job. Now I can look back in retrospect and enjoy that moment again every time I think about it, you know, and think that that moment changed my life, you know. It was four points. We won by four points. It's nothing. And it was right down to the last vote. And do you think it's kind of helped you in life? Because I think when we know, because I really always love to say that anything is possible. I mean, you know, not everything's going to happen for anyone, but most things in life are possible for people to achieve. And has it kind of helped you with things through your life, kind of realising that, you know, your wildest dreams, they can come true? Yeah, they can. I mean, if they don't, at least you've tried. You know, if yeah. you really want something to happen, then put yourself in a position to make it happen. You you can't sit at home and wait for the phone to ring. You know, you have mm-hmm. to be... I was very, very lucky. My whole career, my whole life, I've been incredibly lucky. Lucky. But you have to put yourself in a position to be lucky. You know, luck does, doesn't, doesn't just come and knock on your door. Yeah, You have to be in the right place at the right time to find that luck. You have to have a degree of, of you know, whatever you need for that job. You know, singing, whatever I, whatever I fitted the bill for, whether it was my face, my height. My height was a big part of it. Yeah, we couldn't be taller than Mike Nolan. That wouldn't have been been in the band. But yeah, (laughs) there was, um, you know, it was singing, it was dancing, it was how you look, how tall you are, what colour of your hair and all that kind of stuff. Whereas if you're going for a a job, I don't know, in some other industry, if you fit that bill, then put yourself in a position to, to achieve what you want to achieve. And if it doesn't happen, at least you gave it your best shot. Exactly. But you can never go to the end of your days and say, or you shouldn't anyway, you should never go to the end of your days and say, I wish I'd have tried for that. I love Eurovision and I've watched it since I was little. And I wanted to ask you, because a moment I always love, and I'm sure people always talk about this, is, you know, when your skirts came off. And I feel like in those <laughs> days, it, you know, you know, these days people are prancing around wearing nothing on stage. But in those days, it was quite like a big reveal. And like, whose idea was it to do that? Um, it came about by chance, really, because we were talking. I, I've, as I said earlier, I love running. And so I've got really muscly thighs and quite mm. short thighs. I would say I look a bit like a footballer when I'm, you know, 
from my knee up to my bum. And uh, <laughs> but whereas Jay was a dancer and she had she's very lean, she's very very tiny and long, quite long legs. Although she's short, she's got quite long legs from the knee up to the up to the waist. And um, and so she wanted to wear a short skirt and I wanted to wear a knee length skirt. And we were two in and froing with this. Who's going? You know, which one should we have? The long? Should we have the short? And I went, oh, do you know what? Let's, let's have both. Thinking, I'll have the long one, you have the short one. Yeah. But the choreographer, Chrissy Wickham, said, that's it. On the line, if you want to see some more, we take the top skirt off and the little one's underneath. And it was de- definitely, Jenny, it was definitely the, the, the thing that won us the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. It was that... It would dare I say it, the X factor. It was the X factor of that song. It was the something that made you want to see the song again. The something that made you remember the song and vote for it. And that's what they did. They voted and we won. And it's so, it's funny, isn't it? Because even I, that's what I associate with the song. So you're right. It's this one moment and it's so clever and the timing and everything. And I think that's, but that's it. It's the recipe of all of that coming together that kind of made you win. I said in like your intro that you've done so much more than Bucks Fizz. I mean, as I say, like I grew up with you on my TV screens, record breakers. You've been in theatre, you're on TV all the time. Out of everything that you've done, what would you say is kind of your proudest moment? of your life so far? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I, I did love working on Record Breakers with the lovely Roy Castle. I really did. Mm-hmm. But I loved, I don't know if you remember it, Eggs and Baker. I did five series yes. of Eggs and Baker. That was a Saturday morning thing. Love that. Um, and I wanted to ask you as well, you did mention before about Eurovision. It's coming back to Liverpool and, you know, it's back in our home state. Are you excited kind of to have it back here? Do you think it's kind of going to really reignite? You know, it's been a long time that for us coming that we've kind of done well in Eurovision and last year was incredible. And are you kind of really excited to have this all back on home turf to kind of really celebrate music in Britain? Um, Sam Ryder <clears throat> turned turned it around, turned the face of Eurovision around, and he just made it cool again to to like Eurovision in the UK. And I met him yesterday for the first time, um, oh. and I just I said to him, I, I I did this praise be kind of thing to him, <laughs> and said, "You've done it. You know, you did it solely. You alone have changed the face of Eurovision in the UK. You've made it okay to like Eurovision again." And he yeah. was so he was going, "Oh, thanks, sure, that's really kind." But I absolutely meant it, you know, because I think I loved it. I love Eurovision. Every year I big it up. But people have been saying, oh, isn't it time to pack it in? We always get nil point or we're in the last three or whatever. And I've always said, no, no, you know, it's a fantastic spectacle of wonderful music and crazy music and crazy outfits and magnificent outfits and, you know, Mm -hmm. special effects and pyrotechnics and everything that makes it the biggest musical extravaganza in the world. And it happens once a year. Why would you not like it? Exactly. It was, But I think the UK had become a bit blasé about it or you know possibly fed up with the fact that we were doing so badly but we needed Mm -hmm. the right artist the right song the right production and someone with the heart to promote it and Sam Ryder came along I think you're right it's just going to reignite that love for music and celebration um and you know like you know talent I think that's what it is it's it's just a brilliant night for everyone to enjoy well I as soon as I knew it was coming to Liverpool I mean, my family all love Eurovision. I've got to be honest, not so much my husband, Steve. He's not that keen. He doesn't mind being married to someone who won the Eurovision, I don't think. But uh, but he's not all that fussed about watching it. You know, he's, uh, 
Oh, he's a bit of a rock Ying star, and yang, Steve. There you go. That's why it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, my girls adore Eurovision. I've rented a house up there. So, uh, oh, it'll be amazing. <laughs> I know, won't it? And it's going to be amazing. It'll be all of us, like the, the kids and their partners, and me and Steve, whether he likes it or not. And it's a it's a house big enough for sixteen people, so we can have friends come up and stay with us as well. But as it happens, I rented that property, and then we were asked to do various gigs. So we're doing a big gig on the night before. So that whole week is full of Eurovision stuff. So it's going to be wonderful. Amazing. What an amazing celebration. Before I talk about your moment specifically, I wanted to chat to you. So the first thing is, you were actually at the premiere of the Sliding Doors movie, weren't you, all those years ago? Um, So what was kind of your first thoughts when you saw the film? Um, uh, There are lots of first thoughts. I thought it was astonishing. And I thought, actually how that could so happen. I mean, not to be split into two, obviously, but that, that moment of, should I go this way or should I go that way? And that, and we all have those moments in our life, don't we? Um, and, and how Peter, uh, Peter, um, how it, who wrote it, how he wrote it because of his own experiences. And, uh, and having worked with Pete, he is a bit of a, he is a bit of a split personality anyway. There are yeah. two Peters. So I could see why, how he wrote it and why he wrote it. Definitely. And it's amazing you're at the premiere because I think the one great thing about this film is it stood the test of time. You know, the term sliding doors is used every single day in our kind of modern culture. Um, And kind of specifically asking you, what are your beliefs when it comes to the sliding doors theory? So, you know, fate, everything happening for a reason, timing, hard work. What what do you believe in? That all of those things, I I really do. I really believe in fate. uh, And I have been a lucky girl in my life as I said earlier but you put yourself in a position to be lucky um, and if for me I mean my old manager she would ring me sometimes and say oh Cheryl I'm really sorry but you didn't get this job and I go that's alright Jill I didn't get it because there's something else around the corner and I've always mm-hmm. thought like that and I, I think that Rather than dwell in your own kind of misery, I always think that something happens for a reason. And I might, it might be eyewash, it might be, you know, I might be talking out of my backside. But I like to believe in it and it gives me a positive attitude. And I think positivity, as I mentioned earlier, you know, um, can, can do good things. And, and you know, if, if something doesn't happen, it's, I think it's because it wasn't meant to happen. Definitely. And listen, we all have to believe in something. And if it gives us that bit of faith and that bit of belief, just keep going and and agree. Like, you know, you've got to have the attitude that if something doesn't happen, there's something better out there for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that's why I love doing the podcast, because I think, you know, we can look back retrospectively at these moments and kind of really dive into kind of why they happened. Yeah, yeah. There are, I've got regrets in my life, but there's no point in having regrets because you can't turn the clock back. So just move forward. Exactly. It's an experience. It's an experience, whether it was a good or a bad one. It was something that hopefully you're going to learn from and move on. 
move on. I love that. Um, And that takes us nicely into your first sliding doors moment. So your first one is definitely when I joined Coco in 1975. So I feel like this is the moment that kind of started everything for you and paving the way for you kind of reaching the dream that we spoke about before. So do you want to explain how you joined Coco? And for those of you that don't kind of know who Coco is, kind of what you achieved together and why this is a sliding doors moment for you? Yeah, I mean, I left school, as I I mentioned at the very beginning, um, I wanted to be a singer and I wanted to do the Eurovision Song Contest um, but I thought that probably that's never going to happen well definitely why would it happen to me <laughs> Rita Crudgington that was my real name Rita Crudgington from Bethnal Green it's not going to happen to me so what's going to happen is you're going to study to be a secretary and that's what you're going to do you're going to get the train or the bus into Liverpool Street and you're going to work until you get married and have children and you'll probably still be working and eventually you'll retire and and go on holiday with your husband and your cute children and perhaps see a few friends from Bethnal Green. My life was very insular, you know. I yeah. didn't travel much or anything. And, um, and I just thought, you know, if you do want to sing, it's probably going to be the pub at the end of the road, you know, when they have... Uh, karaoke night although there wasn't such a thing as karaoke in the 80s it was just get up and do a couple of numbers you know so that's what I thought was going to happen and I was five years a secretary in various jobs and then the job that I was in in 1975 was working for an Israeli and there was a threat of a war in in Israel which you know happens Mm -hmm. quite regularly and he went off he went off to um to back to Israel and I came into work and on my typewriter, because there was no such thing as computers in those days, yeah. on my typewriter was a note, Rita, I've gone back to Israel, um, hold the fort while I'm gone, see you when I get back. He was away for a couple of weeks. And in those two weeks, I had nothing to do. You know, he'd told everybody, all of his clients, no one was ringing. I was bored out of my brains. <laughs> and so I would go in, it was in Edgware Road, I would go in every day <clears throat> and sit there, I'd... I'd you know, the phone wasn't ringing. I'd buy the NME and the Melody Maker and I'd have my little cassettes, no such thing as CDs in those days, and my cassettes with my music on. I'd play my music. I'd read the NME. I'd read magazines and things. NME and the Melody Maker, they got me through because I was reading all about the music industry and always on the back pages they have jobs, you know, available. And I always used to look at the the singers required. And there was one and it was singer required for harmony band. And that's me. That's I'm a harmony singer. It's I hear harmony and I can sing a harmony to anything. And uh, and so I wanted to be in a band. I didn't want to be a solo singer because I wanted to be able to sing harmony to someone who was singing yeah. the lead, you know. That's, that's and what isn't I that doing. word harmony that really drew you to the yeah, yeah. That was the yeah. that was it. Harmony band, to be able to sing harmony with other people, which I'd been doing with my sister. I, I sang harmony with my sister. So... Um, um, so I, I I looked at it and I thought, I've never done anything like this before. And it said, must have experience. I had no experience apart from singing with this little band, Bressingham Spire, that never actually worked. I rang my mum and I went, Mum, what shall I do? And she went, just ring them, Ray. Just ring them. And I went, oh, Mum, I, I don't know what to say. I rang my sister and she went, oh, Ray. She said, they can, if they don't want you, they'll just say no. And that's fine. Just put the phone down. You've, yeah. If you don't try... If you don't try, you'll never know. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to ring. I'm going to ring. Right, let's ring. I rang once, put the phone down. No, don't be silly. Don't be silly. Ring. So I rang again and I said, hi, I'm I'm ringing about the um, advert for the girl singer. 
And this voice said, oh, I'll put you through to Mr. Miller. So I thought, hang on. I'm talking to someone on already. A, yeah, it was. But I thought I was going to be ringing someone in their home. I didn't dream yeah. I was ringing an office, and with a manager. I'll put you through to Mr. Miller, the manager. And I spoke to him, and he said, um, "Miller here." And I said, "Hello, um, I'm ringing about the uh, girl singer required." And he said, "What's your name?" And I said, "Rita Crudgington." And he said, "Well, that'll have to go." <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, he took me details down and everything. I was 21 at the time. And he said, um, well, they're in, uh, they're in summer season at the moment in, uh, in Blackpool with Freddie Starr, who was huge at the time, yeah. at the Opera House. The Opera House is a massive 3,000-seater. It's huge. Anyway, he said, but they're coming down on Sunday on their day off to audition. And it was in East London. It was in Leytonstone, so not. You know, not that far from me, half an hour's Very drive. Very aligned with the stars. Yeah, so, um, it, exactly. So um, so I I rang them in, in um, Blackpool and I said my name, Rita Crudgington, and he laughed. And he went, oh, I'm really sorry. So I'm sorry I'm laughing at you. It's not because you've got a funny name. It's just that I've just put the phone down on Agnes Medley. And he said, I could just imagine <laughs> the two girls in our group being Rita Crudgington and Agnes Medley. Agnes Medley. <laughs> So anyway, oh, I, I gave me a time to be at his house in Leytonstone on Sunday and I went and I went feeling absolutely like I can't explain the nerves I had. can't explain it. Um, this little lady opened the door and she went, oh, hello, come in, come in. And I came in and sat with her and she went, you're the one. I went, oh, you know. She hadn't even heard me sing yet, but she went, "You're really? the one." Yeah, and um, and he, and then I heard this girl singing in the in the next room, and I thought, "Oh, she's good." Anyway, I went in, and um, they gave me all these different harmony lines, and I could pick them up like that, easy, 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 yeah. because it's what I do. It's what I'm really good at. And uh, and then they asked me to sing a solo, and I sang, "You've got a friend." Um, James Taylor, Carol King, and I and yeah. I sang it like you've got a friend because I was so nervous, <laughs> couldn't control myself. Anyway, um, they I left and they said they'd let me know by Wednesday, and they rang me an hour later and said come back. So I went back, and uh, the little old lady opened the door and she went, "See, I told you, I told oh you." Oh my it was god, you. I love that. Yeah, and I went in and they got me to sing some more songs. And they said, right, we'll let you know by Wednesday. And I went home and they rang me after a half an hour of arriving home in Bethnal Green. They rang me and said, you've got the job. Wow. And, uh, and, uh, and so it was that moment. It was for me, it was having the courage to make that first phone call because I didn't want to make it. I was not yeah. self-assured at all. Um, I was very insecure, in fact, and but for me to be able to have the courage to make that first phone call, to put the phone down the first time, and then to go and dump it on me, silly, ring up again, you know. Yeah. Um, oh. It was it was that it was, and then when you know you've got the audition, then you're on the conveyor belt. You've put yourself on the conveyor belt and you're moving along with it. But it's actually climbing onto the conveyor belt that's a difficult part. So yeah. um, so that was it. That was that was the moment that changed my life really. Oh, Cheryl, there's so many amazing things in that story. I mean, the first one is, is that, you know, 
if you'd not bought the paper that day and, yeah. you know, seen that specific advert. I also love the fact that, because... I'm always interested to know like how people make these decisions and a lot of people go by their gut, but a lot of people need other people's encouragement to kind of go yeah. for something. And the fact that, you know, you called your mum, you called your sister and they pushed you to do There's so many small things, but the best thing is, is this old lady. Yeah. I, I mean, she must, and this also shows that, you know, sometimes it's not always about just like, you know, how you sing. She obviously saw something in you, in your personality, you know, in the way you are and, and knew that you were the right fit. And that's just also something I absolutely love yeah. about this story. What what success did you have with Coco? Kind of why was this such a big part of the journey that you're, you were on? Well, shortly after, shortly after joining Coco, um, like within weeks, my first gig with them was in the October of 1975. And I remember standing on stage and thinking, I would pay to be here. I'm being paid, but I would pay to be here. This is the biggest day of my life. And, um, and within a few weeks, we were asked to do a song for Europe. Now, at that time, there was no such thing as a song for Europe. Leading up to 1975, but well, this was 75, late 75, and the song for Europe was in February 1976. So leading up to that time, all the previous years, they'd chosen the singer, like they do now, really, but they, they like Cliff Richard, he would be on telly every week and he would yeah. sing six different songs over six weeks and people would write in and say which ones they liked. Oh. Olivia Newton-John, the same thing. And then in 1976, they changed that to a song for Europe so it was an open competition and Brotherhood and Man were in it and Coco was in it and that was the first time that that competition had ever happened and we were in it and so I was in a competition to choose the the artist that was going on to represent the UK in the Eurovision Song Contest and there's me thinking but that's my dream to do the Eurovision Song Contest you know so I had been a professional singer at that time for four months and I was standing on the stage at the Royal Albert Hall on live television singing, you know, this, this song called Wake Up. And, um, and we lost by two points. Two oh. points. We came second to Brotherhood of Man by two points. Imagine if we'd have won that. That was, yeah. if you like, that's another sliding doors moment. If we had won, I wasn't ready for it. I don't know what would have happened yeah. in my life. We wouldn't have won the Eurovision Song Contest with that song, but Brotherhood of Man absolutely swept the board, you know. They, yeah. And they had, funny enough, to this day, they had the biggest selling Eurovision song ever. They sold six really? million of, uh, of Savior Kisses for me, yeah. And there's so it was no definitely other... meant to happen, yeah, meant to be. it was, but we were not meant to win. And, and I'm really glad we didn't. We carried on then, just gigging um, for a couple of years. Then... We did the the song for Europe again in 1978. Same band, Coco. And this time it was a song called The Bad Old Days and we won. So now I'm actually performing in the Eurovision Song Contest. And oh so now I'm fulfilling my childhood dream. Yeah. It was in Paris and it wasn't the dreamy thing that I, that I imagined was going to happen. It was all a bit... We're all kept separate and it was all a bit too... Um, stayed, you know, it was all a bit yeah. too organised. Um, and we came 11th, which at that time was the worst the UK had ever done. We pray so, for that now. Honestly, honestly. <laughs> we did really well this year. We came 11th. Yeah. But then I just 
there's me saying I love the royal family. I felt like I'd let the Queen down. I really did. Oh. And uh, and I thought, well, that's it. I've done the Eurovision now. It's you know, that was my childhood dream. Didn't do well, but never mind. Let's carry on with my career. I carried on for another two years with Coco, to the point where I thought it's time to go. It's time to yeah. leave. I'd, I'd, it was too much business and not enough show for me. You know, I, I'd lost the love of being in Coco. And so I decided to leave. And that was another sliding doors moment for me. Amazing. And I feel like, you know, your this moment is incredible because it really, really is kind of the very pinpoint journey that started everything. And I love the fact that you mentioned that, you know, the fact that you didn't win was not the right time for you and you never would have got to where you had, you know, if you'd had gone through to your vision at that point. And, you know, I mean, it's incredible that you, first of all, that you were in your vision like twice, which is incredible. And one of the times that you won, but this moment is so great for so many reasons, because I think it really shows, as you say, putting yourself out there, taking a chance because you never know where it's going to lead. But ultimately, this is what kind of pushed you into the, you know, the singing sphere and everything like that. And I wanted to ask you, how different do you think your life would be today if you hadn't have bought the paper on that day, if your boss hadn't have gone and you weren't busy and you'd not seen that advert to audition for Coco? Who knows? Because if, if Joshua hadn't gone to Israel, I wouldn't have had time to sit there and look at the situations vacant. And, and even if I had, I would have gone, oh, you know, and it would have said, Re, could you just do a type of letter for me? And I'd have gone. And the, it, so things would have been completely different had I not picked up the phone and rang... Slim Miller, and said about, you know, being the girl singer. If we'd have won the uh, the Song for Europe that year in 76, instead of coming second to Brotherhood of Man, there are so many what-ifs in that story. And I'm really glad that it actually panned out, the, well, I'm fantastically, hugely grateful that it panned out the way it did. Because had it not, what would I have been doing now? I wouldn't be talking to you. I wouldn't have married Steve. I wouldn't have my children. I, it, my life would have been completely different. It's not to say that it wouldn't have been still great. It could have been greater. could have been better. It could have been a lot worse. But I'm exactly. really happy that it worked out the way it did. Oh, Cheryl, it's such an amazing moment. And it actually leads so lovely onto your second moment, which is... When you left Coco, you then went to work for a recording studio um, and a girl came in that was putting Bucks Fizz together. So this moment is incredible because, again, it's a real moment of timing and being in the right place at the right time. So do you want to explain kind of why this was a sliding doors moment for you? Why did I leave Coco when I did? You know, I'd been with them since 75. So this was the sixth year. And I just felt, oh, you know, I think it's time to move on. And we had always used... Um, Mayfair Sound Studios and I knew the, the, the couple that ran it and um, and they used to invite us to little do's that they might have. They had a long boat and they said, why don't you come onto the, onto the long boat and we'll take you up. To... And who was on that long boat was this woman called Nicola Martin. And um, just as a guest again of the couple yeah. that ran Mayfair and, and I, I, she was very pretty. And she was in the music industry. She she used to use Mayfair Sound Studios all the time. But I also, I was a bit scared of her because she was really um, very confident and I was yeah. not. Um, uh, but that's how we met. We met because we both used the same studio. And then when I left Coco, I rang and said um, to Mayfair Sound, 
do you know, I'm, I'm leaving Coco. I've got no job to go to, but I can answer your phones. I can type your letters. I can do invoices. I can do BVs if anyone wants any backing vocals for anything. Uh, and they went, yeah, great. Come in, we'll That's give you a job. That's amazing that you did that. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> so, um, so I went along and I worked there for, it's probably two or three months I was working there when in came Nicola Martin, who I'd met at all these little soirees that they used to organise. Yeah. And uh, and she went, Cheryl, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I've left, I've left Coco. And this was probably in November time. And it was Christmas Eve, I think it was, when I got the phone call. Um, and my mum answered the phone. I wasn't in. And um, and she, I got home and my mum said, Ray, a lady called Nicola Martin rang. Will you ring her back? And I went, Nicola Martin? Nicola? Oh, oh, I know. Oh, no, I don't think I'll ring her back. And I didn't. <laughs> so she oh. rang again just after oh Christmas. Yeah. And again, I was out. And my mum said, Ray, that woman rang you again, Nicola Martin. And I went, oh, well, if she wants me, she'll ring me back. Yeah. Then it was, I think, New Year's Eve, and it was her partner, Andy Hill, who wrote Making Your Mind Up. He rang, and he went, could I speak to Cheryl? And I said, speaking. And he said, um, uh, oh, my, you know, Nicola's been trying to get you. And I went, oh, yeah, I'm ever so sorry. I've been doing oh, this, been that, busy. and the other with Christmas and everything. <laughs> and he said, um, I've written this song, and it's in the song for Europe. And uh, Nicola thought you'd be really great to be in the band. So would you like to come along and have a listen to the song? So I went along on the 7th of January and um, and I went to Nicola's house in Fulham and I went in and he Andy played it to me on the keyboard on the on the it was a piano actually mm-hmm. and um, so there was no electronic sound it was a proper piano sound it didn't sound anything like making your mind up sounds like now and I thought oh I don't know about this but I did think it might stand a good chance in the Eurovision on Song for Europe. But I met Mike Nolan that night for the first time and I thought how beautiful he was and what a lovely bloke he was, how funny he was. And so we we got on like a house on fire straight away. And Nicola said um, that she was calling the band Bucks Fizz because that was her favourite drink. And when she was in the studio doing the demo, she did the demo, she did all the female vocals of the demo and Andy Hill and Mike Nolan did the male vocals. And she was drinking a Bucks Fizz at the time. Oh, and wow. they said, right, you've got to put a name down. Um, and she went, oh, the Bucks Fears. And she wrote, that's how come it was called Bucks Fears. Uh, yeah, and on the, so they said, do you want to be in it? And I went, yeah, love to. And to be honest, Jenny, I was thinking, I want to be in it because my mum and dad can record it, you know, video really? it. Really? And then I can go back to working at Mayfair Sound. Because um, I was going to ask, were you nervous to join another band after kind of like, you know, you did everything with Coco, it lasted, you'd kind of put that to bed and were like, you know, I'm just going like, to do the job I'm doing. Did you ever kind of, did you just do it because you were just like, what the hell? Yeah, I did. And I, I actually at that time, I'd, I'd been in the previous band, I had a lot of experience, I'd done the Eurovision, I'd been on top of the pops, I'd done quite a bit, recorded an album. I did yeah. feel a lot more self-assured by that time. And so, no, I wasn't nervous about singing it. I like being in a band. I love yeah. I love the, um, it's it's having a safety net under you when you've got other people to sing with. So, um, so yeah, I, I we all met on Sunday the 11th of January. I'd, the only one I'd seen at that time was Mike Nolan. And, um, and Nick, I, I went along to Nicola's house and the others were already there and I went into her living room and she said, this is Bobby, this is Jay, you know, already know Mike. You four are Bucks Fizz. And it was really weird. 
But then it was, we had to absolutely knuckle down and get the recording done, get the rehearsals done, get the routine in done, get the clothes, everything, because the song for Europe was exactly two months later. It was on the 11th wow, of March. That is so no we had time at all. No time. So we had two months to get everything together and get to know each other, you know. So um, it was a crazy time. If you hadn't have been working in the recording studio, if she hadn't have come in that day, you know, and it's also the fact that she did know you, you know, you had, you had a musical past, you know, you were someone and she obviously, she was persevering. She was kind of really putting it out there and, you know, you missed a call once, you missed a call twice and then the third time you answered and it's such a moment of timing because it was actually meant to be that, you know, and do you think about, you know, if you hadn't have, you know, seen her that day, if she, if, if you've just kept ignoring her calls, you know, again, like how different everything would be for you. Absolutely. Of course it would. If she hadn't come into the studio, she would have put Bucks Viz together with someone else that she knew or somebody that she auditioned. So, yeah. um, you know, it was, and actually she was going to be in Bucks Viz at first. Really? And then she decided to be, because she had two songs. Andy wrote a couple of songs that got into the Song for Europe that year. And Nicola was thinking, should I be in this band or this band? And she decided to be in the other one, which was called Gem. So she could have decided to be in Bucks Fizz. You know, it was, it's circumstance was really in, in my favour. It really was. The the fact that you won, you won because you were you four. And also, like, you know, if she'd have been in the band, even if the song was the same, you still don't know if you would have won. Like, you four together are what made that song come yeah. to life. Yeah, it's true. Isn't it funny? It just, it's, I just, I really do believe in fate. I really do. I mean, whether I'm being silly or, you know, I, I don't know, people will have their own opinions, but I just think some things are meant to be. And that was. There was. Oh, it really was. See, with, with, with Bucks Fizz. There was um, another guy that was supposed to be in it called Stephen Fisher. But Stephen had already signed a contract to be in a small musical or a play or something in Hornchurch in Essex. And so he said, I can't do it because I've signed this contract. I've got to do that. So he would have been in the band instead of Bobby G. And so, you know, maybe we would have still won. Maybe we wouldn't. But as it happened, we did. And so, you know... Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? uh, It just, it happened and it was right. But what an amazing moment, Cheryl, like both of these two moments. I love how you can remember kind of it. And I think that's what I love about this podcast is, is that, you know, it's the such, it's the small little things that happen and you just never know when opportunity is going to come your way. And you've kind of just got to be ready for it, grasp it, take it because you don't know where it's going to lead you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's also amazing that you did go back to kind of working in the studio and you went back to wanting to work and just love that. I just, the whole moment's just incredible. And <laughs> it also leads nicely onto your last moment, which is you said when you rang Steve, your husband, you bit the bullet and realised that you wanted to be more than friends. I mean, we love a good love story. <laughs> um, so take us back to this moment and explain what happened when you rang him um, and why this was such a sliding doors moment for you. Well, you see, I'd known Steve since 1970. When I joined Coco in 75, um, they had a friend um, who 
who used to come along and see the gigs and everything. And, and I got on really well with her. Her name was Jenny. She had a boyfriend called Steve Stroud. And she said to me, why don't you come along and meet Steve? He's playing at the Three Rabbits up the road. So I went along and I saw this band. They were incredible, great vocals, all about harmony for me again. You know, they were really good harmonies. And, um, and I met this bloke, Steve Stroud, blonde hair, very tight perm he had at the time. And, um, and I thought, what a lovely bloke he is. And a great bass player, really good vocals. But he was just a bloke in a band, you know. Yeah. But then our paths crossed uncannily because I used to do some backing singing, singing on um, New Faces, a programme called New Faces. And Steve was there regularly. With He was in a band at one time that won like six weeks running or something like that. And I, I would come along and I'd, everyone called him Stroudy. They still do. Stroudy. Yeah. I, me too. And he'd go, Cheryl, you know. And then... Um, you know, I left Coco and started working with um, Bucks Fizz and we did the song for Europe. Who was in the song for Europe? Stroudy. I went, God, blimey, so not you weird. again. Not you again. He went, yeah, what are you doing here? I went, well, I'm in Bucks Fizz. And he said that when we did the song for Europe, in all of the rehearsals, because they had a beautiful ballad, and yeah. he said, you know, we could win this, we could win this. And he was disregarding Bucks Fizz because they hadn't been, we hadn't done the, the dress run and then we did the dress run and the skirts came off and he said to the rest of his band we might as well go home now so, <laughs> <laughs> so then so then um we go out on tour our record label wants us to go on tour rca and they had another singer at that time called kate robbins who was number two in the charts and they said uh, will you take kate robbins on tour with you she's got her own band and we went yeah of course who was in her band stroudy no stroudy yeah 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 <laughs> so now we're all on the same tour bus going touring all around the country and uh, and then her band was much better than ours so on our next tour we sacked our original band and we employed her band so now he's working for me Oh my god! But gosh. still, so now we've got. I met him in seventy-five. So now we're talking eighty-one, eighty-two. Seven years later, still nothing. We all were you good friends though. Yeah, really good mates. He used to come over okay. to my house. I'd go to his flat. He had a girlfriend. He had a few girlfriends, but always long term. Yeah. Uh, and I had a long-term boyfriend and then I left him and I got engaged to the drummer who was in Buck's Fears and I was with him for years, you know. Wow. And And Steve would come over and and Steve had a long-term girlfriend. And we I did this programme, it was 1987. And by that time I was doing television presenting. And this programme was called The Funny Side and they wanted me to sing on it. And I said, can I have my own band? And they said, yeah. And I went, well... You know, I'll have to have Adrian, he's my fiancé, and I want Stroudy because he's the best bass player in the business and he's a great singer. And I, so I made the band up, Stroudy was with me, and um, and it was during the making of that series that Adrian was really playing up by that time. I didn't realise he'd got se severely into, you know, drugs and drink and everything, yeah. um, which he, he kept away from me. I, I didn't know anything about it because he knew that I was very anti. And mm -hmm. uh, and he was just being really horrible and saying horrible things and embarrassing me in front of the production company. And Steve was being really caring and saying, look, Shell, don't worry, don't worry. You know, I'll go and talk to him. I'll try and sort things out. And, and it was just at that moment, that moment when you look at someone and think, 
why haven't I seen this before? Why have I not seen how lovely you are? So anyway, that was that with the show finished. I came home and I thought I was living with Adrian and I thought, I want to be with Steve. I don't want to be with Adrian anymore. Really? What am I going to do? I've been with Adrian now for six years. What am I going to do? And it was, Steve went off on tour with um, Eric Burden or someone and I rang Steve and it was, I was doing the programme You Bet. I don't know if you remember You Bet. I was a guest on You Bet and I was at uh, Shepperton Studios and I was really nervous and my heart was banging and butterflies and I thought, I'm going to ring Stradi. I'm going to ring him. I'm going to ring him. And I rang him and said, and he answered, and I didn't think he'd be there. It's yeah. a Sunday afternoon. I thought, he's going to be out. He's going to be with his mates at the pub or watching a football yeah. match or something. He was there. And I went, he went, I was Steve. He went, Cheryl? I went, yeah. And he went, you all right? And I went, no, I'm not all right, actually. I've got a bit of, bit of a problem. Um, and I've been thinking about you a lot. And, and I know we're mates and everything, but we've got to talk. And he went... What's the matter? And I went, we've got to talk. I've been thinking about you too much. And so it was the next day, the Monday, Adrian was away. And I, and he said, well, I'm free tomorrow. Do you want to go out tomorrow? I'll come over. <clears throat> so he popped over. And uh, I'd, I'd really made myself look the dog yeah. do dance. So I really did dress up. <laughs> and he went, and he had a pair of jeans on and a and a. Um, you don't just want to be shirt. the friend now. <laughs> and uh and he went, oh, I didn't know you were dressing up. And I went, oh, this, this is nothing. Anyway, <laughs> we went to Crystal Palace. We went to this Thai restaurant in Crystal Palace. And Thai food at the time was really new. I remember crossing the road to get to the restaurant. And it was busy. And so he held my hand to cross the road. And I never wanted him to let go. Oh, it was a real moment for me. And we ran across the road. And I explained to him in the, in the restaurant that I was falling out of love with Adrian and I had major problems with Adrian and I was thinking about Steve a lot and he went, Shell, Shell, we can't because you're my mate. I don't want to lose you as a mate. And um, anyway, I persevered with that one. And the funny thing was, Jenny, that um, I started to see Ad- uh, started to see Steve and it was Adrian knew that I said to him, you've got to live in, you've got to move into another bedroom and we've got to live separate lives and everything. Um, and he said to me, I don't care. I know you're seeing someone else. I don't care who it is as long as it's not Steve Stroud. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, So he knew deep down. Uh, yeah, he, well, he definitely knew in the end. But it took two years for me to tell him because <sighs> I felt so sorry for him. The universe was definitely telling you that you were meant to be together from all the times that I you know. were met and pushed together. But I think also there's a, another thing I love is, is that you were friends beforehand because you built an amazing foundation between you. Um, but also the fact that you just bit the bullet and like, and as you said, like you rang him and you told him, you know, it's very, very hard for anyone to do that with someone, especially when they're your friend. Yeah. Um, and do you think that's kind of, helped you in life now knowing that you know you you did something that you just threw yourself out there whatever he was going to say you could have said no but you just had to tell him how you felt do you think it's really kind of stuck with you that like you know you've got to always try because the best thing in your life could happen if you you know if you tell someone how you feel yeah definitely absolutely you don't don't dwell on it 
don't dwell on it. If, you, if you're thinking something, even if it takes you a time, for me, opening the Melody Maker, seeing the advert and eventually plucking up the courage to make that phone yeah. call, you know, and, and, uh, and, and leaving Coco and then and starting with Bucks. You know, all those moments when you think, shall I do it? Shall I do it? And if you think it's wrong, then okay, that's fair enough. But if you think, yeah. I could do this, I think I could do this, then give it a try. Absolutely. Yeah. If you think, if you feel like you should make that phone call, if you feel like you should write that letter, if you feel like you should, you know, try for that job, if you don't try, you'll never know. Never know. And how long have you and Steve been together for now? We've been married 31 years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I hope you still remind him that you're together because of you. Yeah, yes, I don't actually, but I will do tonight when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's such an amazing story because I think that, you know, it is a story about love and it's a story about timing, but also, you know, it shows that I love that you remember those small little moments of, you know, you know, realizing we sometimes don't know what's in front of us and yeah. it takes bad situations to happen. And, you know, it sounds like you were definitely meant to be together. And I, I just, it's such a lovely, lovely love story. Um, and I think it's an amazing, you know, it's an amazing inspiration for people to say that like, you know, you've got nothing to lose with these things. If you like somebody, if you're friends with someone, yes, you could ruin your friendship and things could happen, but also you could be married for 31 years and have a lovely life together. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, our children, our children yeah. who I think are just perfect, they wouldn't, I'd, I'd probably still have had children, although I did have to have IVF because I, I had all sorts going on in my insides that would never allow me to be naturally pregnant. But yeah. the fact that I had Kyla and Natalie, and they are who they are because of me and Steve, mm -hmm. you know, so my children would have been completely different. And I can't imagine that. I'm sure that, you know, it, they would have been fine. But... Kyla and Natalie, to me, are perfection. Obviously, they are. They're my kids. It's fantastic how things worked out. It's absolutely amazing. And Steve, I think you're right. We eventually were meant to happen, but we had a lot of growing up and sowing seeds to happen before we got together. And make sure you remind him that this is all because of you <laughs> and you calling him. Um, oh, Cheryl, it's been so lovely to chat to you. Your moments are just incredible. They're so you know, they, they've really built the whole path of your life. And I love the fact that, you know, you're still such a glass half full person. You're still with the fizz. You're still loving life. Um, and thank you for sharing all your moments with us today. I've absolutely loved it. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. It's lovely for me to reminisce, especially because I'm talking about fabulous things. You know, it's the really happy moments in my life. Amazing. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Thank you, Jenny. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.